And thanks, thanks to Heinlein's glory right, I understood how that all worked. <laughs> the movie doesn't make it exactly clear, but I understood the thanks in the book. Welcome to the Skiffy Fanty Show at the movies. Even the devil's son can appreciate air conditioning. <laughs> there is a line about air conditioning in this, which is funny. I'm Sean. I'm Paul. And on today's show, we'll be discussing Cabin in the Sky from 1943, directed by Vincente Minnelli, featuring an all-star, all-black cast that includes, among others, Ethel Waters, Eddie Rochester Anderson, Lena Horne, a cameo from Louis Armstrong, which is delightful, and even a musical number by the great Duke Ellington and his orchestra, because, oh my god, this movie has a lot of big names for the time in it. <laughs> and a lot of music. A lot of music, a lot of singing. It's a musical. It's a musical fantasy sort of... I didn't yeah. realize when you said, oh, you want to do this movie, that was a musical. I should have guessed when I saw the cast list and saw that... Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington would be in it. And yeah, like, Waters. I, sh- I should have bought the I should have bought the battle then, but you know, so, 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 suddenly I'm in a musical from 1943. Okay, I can deal with this. It's really delight. It's got it's got tap dancing numbers and other kinds of dancing styles in here. It's got a lot going for it. It's a lot of fun as a film. It is indeed a lot of fun. And before we get started, I I want a, a friendly reminder to you listeners that we want to hear from you. Share your comments with us about this and past episodes at skippyinfinity.com slash listener suggestions. That's all one word, lowercase. We're also planning some interesting books in their adaptations episodes on works by people of color, especially African-American and African creators. So we want your input. So bring your suggestions to us. Give us all the suggestions. Do it because Paul adamantly said so with so I much Because I said so. <laughs> I said so. So anyway, so time for the summary uh, before we get into some of the specifics. If you've never seen this movie, there are plenty of places where you can watch it. Uh, I watched it online, but it's also been uh, you know categorized in the, the Library of Congress now, so, or the National Film Registry and Library of Congress, so you may be able to get it through your local library, which is pretty cool. So the film mostly follows a character by Little Joe and his wife, Petunia, uh, Little Joe Jackson and Petunia Jackson. Uh, these are played by Eddie Rochester Anderson and Ethel Waters, respectively. Little Joe is described sort of as a weak man, a man who suffers from a gambling addiction, who gets sort of caught into some seedy gambling moments with a big shot by the name of Domino Johnson, who is a bit of a gangster. And as a result, uh, he is unfortunately shot and technically killed and in the process of of dying he is beset upon by uh essentially lucifer jr and his father and the general from uh god who basically determined that they're going to give him another chance to prove himself worthy for heaven uh but he's not going to have the memory as he has returned to the real world again outside of death and so the film from there follows through a series of musical numbers and beautiful dancing sequences as little joe deals with the trials and tribulations of trying to be a good person 
person without knowing that that's what he's ultimately trying to do to get into heaven. This gets into some serious concerns because Joe is also beset upon by a notorious gold digger by the name of Georgia Brown, played by Lena Horne, and also, you know, the the very serious problem of his gambling, which leads him into some questionable areas. Also, you know, he sometimes gets attacked by people. I don't want to say much more because I think we'll get into a little bit more of the details of how the back end of this film operates because there's certainly more there. But that's the basic idea. This is a a fable. It is based on a an original musical by Vernon Duke and uh, John Latouche. So that was done previously. This film was uh, put together uh, following uh, that by about three years. Uh, the original Broadway musical was 1940. This is 1943. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's the that's the movie. It's the basic idea. We've heard this kind of story before. You've probably heard the kind of idea that someone's died and they're given a chance and, you know, he's got temptation on one side and trying to be a good person on the other. And there's, you know, there, there's even this version in here of the, the like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other trying to t- tell you the right thing to do to your conscience. All that stuff is here. So it's, in a lot of ways, it's a very familiar story, but it is also really well done and a lot of fun here. And 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 as as you said, with an all black cast, which is unexpected, especially for 1943. I mean, according yep. to according to Wikipedia, its reception wasn't great in the South because you know. <laughs> I wonder why, were, Paul. <laughs> I wonder. Well, I wonder why movie theaters wouldn't play it. Um, according to Wikipedia, on July 29th in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, the film stopped after the first 30 minutes on orders from the local sheriff. It's like. So yeah, I had no idea until you told me you should this movie. This movie even existed, so it kind of got memory hold for general popular culture for a long time, and that's that's a shame because it is in firmly in the tradition of movies like Heaven Can Wait and a bunch of others, which go like person person dying who's on the edge of heaven or hell and has a second chance at redemption and has to go through trials and tribulations to get it. It's, yeah, it's a familiar story, but it's with an unfamiliar cast and with some unique elements. the 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 musical, the singing, the the trumpet playing, it's <laughs> it's 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 in a different guise. So it's not just like a black heaven can wait by any means of the imagination. It's it, it's it's its own thing. Now now here's now oh, so here's a trivia question for you, Sean. So you know me, so you know some of my favorite movies. What movie did I first see Eddie Ro- Eddie Rochester Anderson in? What movie? What movie do I love is he in? All right. Well, if we're being serious, I can't assume that you were born before the beginning of his film career uh, because that would have <laughs> that would have put you uh, sometime before the Great Depression. And I know no. you're not quite that old, technically. I don't know. Honolulu? <laughs> no, it's a mad, mad, mad world. He oh, really? One he of the was cab in that? drivers in, in the, yeah, the final in that final portion. He plays one of the one of the two cab drivers. Really? The other one is Robert Falk. Yeah, the other one is Columbo, and it's Columbo and him who are playing the cab drivers. A very long career and was very well known in his time. Uh, he was known especially for his work on vaudeville, which is a thing that basically doesn't exist anymore. Not in any significant way. That that's an entirely different uh, entertainment world. 
than exists now. Uh, also, apparently was an avid horse racing fan, which I find amusing. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of a coincidence, yeah. Yeah, but he, he was known, you know, very much as a kind of a character actor in a way, right? A comedian, you know, he had a very distinct way and he has that voice, right? That that raspy, deep kind of voice, uh, which, you know, Satchmo is also very well known for. Uh, and I, it is quite amusing here to hear him sing. Uh, because he he clearly doesn't have quite the uh, singing talent of some of the other on the cast, but yet there's so much heart in what he sings when he sings his songs. It's they're really really beautiful oh, little yeah, tunes. Everybody who sings in this, in this, this they sing they sing their hearts out. They really do. Him and Petunia. I mean, they they put every they put power into every syllable. I think it's worth pointing out that you know we're, we mentioned some of the names of the people. And there are quite a number of pretty significant names for their time here. A lot of folks that are more contemporary list, you know, people who may not know this period probably don't know some of these people. Uh, you know, Lena Horne was a Grammy winning uh, singer. She was a civil rights activist, dancer, actress. She was enormous in her day, became well known through the Cotton Club, which was uh, part of the which was part of the chorus. Uh, Ethel Waters was a jazz musician and actress. She did pop and swing and all of these music huge in her day. You know, Eddie Rochester, we talked about already, but there's also, you know, Louis Armstrong, who makes a cameo here as the trumpeter. And I think everybody knows who Louis Armstrong is or. Yeah, I picked him out right away. Or George Duke Ellington, yes, is himself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are a number of other vaudeville actors here, like um, John Williams Sublet, or he's known as Bubbles, who plays Domino, which is an interesting turn, given that he seems like a very nice fellow <laughs> and yet plays the gangster in this. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of other fun folks like uh, Manton Moreland as the first idea man who works for the devil or Willie Best as the second idea man. It's just got a really fun, fun cast. And there's also someone by the name of Butterfly McQueen, which uh, I didn't know a lot, but she apparently was in Gone with the Wind. So uh, pretty well known. But also just that name is delightful. Butterfly McQueen. I also it's worth noting the production of this film. Uh, this film does receive some criticism for some caricatures of black people. Uh, some racial caricatures, given the the time period, that's somewhat expected. Uh, but it's worth worth noting here that this f- uh, film they deliberately sought out input from black leaders for this production. The NAACP, yeah, yeah, the NAACP, who congratulated them on the treatment of this this black fable. It's a, a rough quote, which they said at the time avoided, uh, you know, sh- racial stereotypes and cliches. We today would say that it doesn't really avoid those, but you know, for its time, I think it's really important that this is a Hollywood production in a time period of some pretty brutal widespread racism in which they actually sought out the input of the community that's being represented on screen, which imperfect as this film certainly is, it's a really nice touch. I think it's very clear that Paul and I both really enjoyed this film. Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, I'm glad they did go for that input and to try to Make it for its for its time, maybe maybe not by our sense, but by its time, definitely as sensitive as it could be, and get through to Hollywood production because especially especially it's like the early scenes where we see them at that like like farm like house. I mean that could have really developed, gone straight into uh straight in straight into stereotype and uh, really bad portrayals, but it didn't. I mean it's interesting that the movie starts off off with basically. In, in a church, and, mm-hmm. and this is so much grounded in black spirituality and black the black experience of Christianity in, in a very strong and interesting way, and 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 in a way, in ways that you expect. I mean, we have Lucifer Junior, and we have we have the angel, and 
they're all dressed martially, which is really <laughs> an interesting choice. And I wasn't sure how to make this. It's just like, why are they dressed up as general? I mean, I mean, I mean, they even got the the angel gets dressed as general, but even Lucifer Jr. himself is wearing a clear military uniform. And I had a sudden weird thought of um of the of the black general from Haiti, um Louis Toussaint. I kept oh. thinking of him when I kept looking. See, Lucifer, I kept thinking of him because he's a complicated figure from Haitian history. General became dictator of Haiti and did some really dark things. So I kept thinking of him every time I saw Lucifer Jr. for some reason. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting because when I was looking up, not there's not as much written about this film as other other uh, black-centered films, which I think is partly to go back to something you had said earlier, which is, you know, you didn't really know that this film existed, right? You, like, you didn't know about it, and it, it seems like it's flown under the radar, and I, I think part of that probably is that of the period, there's certainly some better produced musicals uh, and dance numbers. You know, they're, they're much larger productions. Uh, even Louis Armstrong is in some much better productions. Like, he's oh, really oh, not in this. Yeah. yeah, so maybe that it's sort of overshadowed by stuff that followed after it uh, or something to that effect. But it, it's interesting, too, that this film seems to be playing on some interesting images, like the one that you're talking about, which is this idea that the, the they're like literally soldiers of God. Or soldiers of the devil, like an army, a war, a war for his soul. I mean, the metaphor is right there in front of us. It's a yeah, war yeah. For, for for little Joe's soul. It's it's so interesting, and and I think this is something we were mentioning on podcast. Part of this has to do with whether they they knew this, but this is 1943. It's smack in the middle of World War II for America, at least, uh, because the 1942 is when we officially 41 41 is when 41 we officially is when we joined in. yeah. Produced, yeah, made in 42, released in 43. So, yeah, so we're in the war because they yeah. mentioned at one point, oh, yeah, most of the angels and devils are over in Europe. So, yeah, it's yeah. clearly it's clearly tagging over to that in the same way, well, let's say Casablanca does, but in a di- different mode entirely. Yeah, it's very a little, different it's a mood. More, yeah, they're <laughs> very different moving and much more arm's length, but it's almost like it's like a tag, like, yep, we're in the war. Don't forget. Yeah. Sort of thing. And and I do want to go back to something you were kind of saying before, you know, yes, this film is clearly rooted in black spirituality and the, and the black church. I mean, the very opening sequences is all about this pastor and his uh, his secondhand man, basically. His deacon, talk- yeah. Yeah, his deacon talking about a uh, talking about Joe, little Joe. And oh, he's going to make it. Petunia says he's going to go. He's going to go because they're waiting for his confession, which is really important in this film, because the whole idea is that confession as in a lot of christian uh beliefs right if you confess your sins you can be forgiven and therefore gain entry into heaven and this happens at the very end of the film when georgia who is described repeatedly throughout the film as like one of the greatest sinners of all time which i find amusing because clearly she can't be the worst sinner given what's going on in world war ii right around the other side of the (laughs) ocean but but you know she's described as this horrific she's like the the best sinner we've ever had you know the devils are saying this but yet she confesses at the end and that's what gets her immediately back into heaven she she becomes immediately there so th- there's all of these these thematics that are rooted in black spirituality but i also think what's really interesting about this film is the themes that are presented here from a religious perspective are themes that are fairly universal you know, yes, there, there's something particular in the way that it approaches a black perspective, which you and I, Paul, as white people, 
we, we can't experience because we are we are not black. But we can also understand from our own perspective, like the ideas of temptation, uh, which is a huge theme here, temptation, both sexual temptation, hedonistic temptations, you know, gambling, etc. Drink is also heavily implied here. You know, those temptations are definitely a thing that we can kind of relate to. There are like these universal themes that are presented throughout this that I think all audiences can grasp. And it's, I think, somewhat sad that, you know, the South is so racist at this point that it literally doesn't want to play this movie, which might actually show that, oh, hey, like, these people go through some of the same problems we do as religious believers. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's something sort of lost in that. The, the the darker moment that I was thinking of as watching this movie was the Tulsa riots of 1920. Yeah. Where the, where the, where the middle class neighborhoods of Tulsa were basically burned to the ground by a white racist mob. Yeah. The South being unable to grasp, to accept African Americans as their equals in any sort of way. Yeah, the, the reception of this movie down south kind of goes along that line. It's like, no, we can't see them being as prosperous and happy and upstanding. That's wrong. They're subhuman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's worth noting, you know, obviously we're talking about a specific place, right? We're talking places like Tennessee, many parts of the south, which, you know, this is the point of Jim Crow and that it's it's in full swing, right? The rise of the KKK has happened a second time. Right, we're seeing all of this going on in the South. But this film also was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, which is Happiness is a Thing Called Joe, which is sung by Ethel Waters. So there is a, a, a sense to which like this film was to some degree respected, at least by some aspects of community within the United States. It just unfortunately butted heads with a now we think of it as as a very wrong headed uh, side of American history, uh, and that's being very nice to it. It's it, brutally, horrifically bad. But yet, yet, I just want to say this film still exists. You can get it on DVD right smack now. So you, there's there's nothing to stop you from watching it. You can watch it on Amazon, just like just like I just did today. And I I think it's worth seeing. You know, I, I the this reminded me a lot of like I watched a Muppet Christmas Carol very recently. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me in a lot of ways, kind of like Muppet Christmas Carol, a little bit, just kind of the the thematics of like seeing your failures and then having to work through them in order to be put in the good graces only with Muppet's Christmas Carol, like the lessons learned throughout. In this case, he doesn't really learn the lesson till the very end, which I think is super interesting, but it's through a series of misunderstandings. Right. Because he uh, the devil has set him up to win this lottery, essentially. Yeah. Uh, he, in his excitement, is telling Georgia Brown, like, oh, he's going to take care of her, make sure she has a club so she can sing and all of these things. And Petunia thinks that he's he's cheating on her, which to he, be fair. He, he's he falling back to her. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, she's not wrong that he has done that many a time. Yeah, that was an interesting thing in this film. And I don't know how what you felt about it, Paul, which is it, it seemed to me that what they were trying to suggest to us is that he had been unfaithful. But that he did really love Petunia, but yet he seems to vacillate very easily between Petunia and Georgia to the point that when Petunia he's got feet of clay him, for sure, he's got he feet of clay does. for sure. I, I mean, he's trying to do right, but Georgia looks fine, so it's like the, the, the straying eyes. I mean, it's like just use the eyes, buddy. Don't move the feet. Just the eyes are fine. Just move the feet, buddy. Yeah, he moves the feet, and I mean, which should be said, spoilers that it turns out this is all. 
a dream sequence, right? Which I was wondering about whether they're going to do, whether they're really going to do the reincarnation or the heaven can wait approach. But it's actually no, it's only a dream, which felt a little bit of a cheat to me. But it kind of gives also the chance of like now he can take the first start, and we see that as like it's like he takes a lottery ticket and the dice, and he has them destroyed at the end. Which is interesting that money is perceived as part of the temptation that leads you to. Well, yeah. the, it's it's not that money is the root of all evil. The the actual quote is the love of money is the right. root of all evil, and this movie goes for the love of money. It's not because remember when when the when the when the general's tallying up of where he spent the money, it's it's like he spent it mostly on Georgia, and so that was the problem. Not that the fact he spent it elsewhere, the fact he spent it on her was was got him in the red book until of course the the heel face the heel face turn and she repents and so that money goes back into the le- back into the positive ledger so it's right. not the money that it's it's the love of money and the devil even does it. it's like yeah give him all this money you're gonna be feeling that greed and dragging him down so it's not so much having the wealth it's what you do with the wealth and the avarice there there's the good yeah. thing, right? the avarice is what is the sin here as i was looking through this that um rochester was in the original brewster's millions which is, I was thinking of the remake, which is the one everyone knows about with uh, Richard Pryor, because that's a whole movie about all this money and having to deal with it and being on the straight and narrow in order to get the more or fall into wrongness. So I kept thinking of the, I kept thinking of the of the one I knew, which I, I I only vaguely knew there was a previous one that this move this clearly through line of money and what you do with it and the love and the avarice love, use of money versus the avarice of money that. He takes obviously into the role into Brewster's Millions a few years later. Yeah, it's it, you know you're you're saying that because the, the what we had mentioned a minute before was that his avarice for money, right? His his love and obsession with getting money, and by extension, right? His his you could argue his addiction to gambling in particular, mm-hmm. because he seems. Although we'll come back to that. Uh, it's what ultimately leads towards the end to bring dragging Petunia down with him because Petunia is angry with him. This is about oh, like two thirds through the film or maybe, which is Petunia sees him with uh, Georgia Brown and he assumes oh he has. He has gone down the tube, and he's won this lottery. So the ticket is for the Irish sweepstakes, and right. what the what what the what the thing says is that he's drawn a horse, and so the bank wants to buy the ticket from him for for a lot of money. And I only reason why I understand how that all works is you're going to laugh. I mean, because that was that made the the second Heinlein novel I thought about while I was watching this movie. First one was Job, and we'll talk about Job in a bit. But I was yep. thinking, I was thinking of Glory Road. In Glory Road, the main character gets an Irish sweepstakes ticket as part of a pot of gambling. Highline goes into great detail how the Irish sweepstakes works. It's like most tickets are worthless. They're, they're not even horses. But if you get a ticket with a horse, it becomes valuable. So that's what happened to him here. He got a ticket. I mean, it's not like he won the race. It's just that he got a ticket that was good enough to actually have a horse that was going to be the favorite. So he basically sold that ticket in this dream not because the horse won, just because it's a possible winning ticket. He sold the, basically his rights to that ticket for that $50,000. And thanks thanks to Heinlein's glory, I understood how that all worked. <laughs> the movie doesn't make it exactly clear, but I understood it thanks to the book. Well, and, and, and like I was saying, right, that this this win, because he, he in his surprise, right, he, he says he's going to spend it on on helping uh, George Brown, played by, again, Lena Horne, the incredible mm-hmm. Lena Horne, gorgeous, amazing mm-hmm. Lena Horne. Uh, absolutely stunning. You know, Petunia is immediately like, oh, you double-crossing devil, you. And 
uh, it leads her down a path of jealousy and anger. And wrath, yeah. And wrath. And she tries to, and again, right, one of the deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Movie knows what it's doing. Yeah, she tries to get back at him, right, in the in the club, which involves uh, flirtations with uh, Domino and, you know, a dance number. And she's drinking and she's doing all of this stuff. It's just, you know, it, it, this is a world that very much the the implication is like the club scene is is like seedy and it's full of sin and it's bad uh but i also just want to add that part of what makes petunia so incredible in this is like yes she's dragged down but then she comes to her senses because she realizes what she's doing that she has this extraordinary power that her prayers can basically catch the ear of god in a remarkable way. And so early in the film, she's praying in order to save little Joe from death, which is what brings the angels down and then, uh, and, and the devil too. And it, yeah, it's, yeah, because, because even Lucifer Jr. says like, I've never heard such a powerful prayer. So like, he, he yeah. gives her respect at one point. In fact, there's a bit of comedy there, right? Which is when the, the general comes down from heaven and he's like, we heard her prayer. And he's like, I was afraid of that. <laughs> it's a pretty funny little moment. But at the end, she prays that, that the club gets destroyed and a tornado comes very much Wizard of Oz-like and effectively destroys it. But unfortunately, Domino shoots both of them. They both effectively die. And it's interesting that, again, it's her prayer that brings this tornado. It's her prayer, the power of her prayer to bring about the wrath of God in, in one instance, but also the mercy of God that she can mm-hmm. channel both of those because of her true unadulterated faith. And I think that's such a big part of this, that faith is central to this, that it's not just the belief in God, it's the the belief in in the mission of God, of, of giving oneself over to God, of repenting for one's sin and seeking forgiveness and mercy, right? It is faith that is supposed to bring us together. Uh, and Joe's problem is that he, at many points in this, seems afraid to even step into a church, and at one point is even dragged out of a church. Uh, and that was the other thing that I wanted us to talk about here, mm-hmm. which is that what's interesting to me is at the beginning of this movie, Joe is really trying. He is really trying. In fact, he goes to church with the intention of repenting, right? And he is dragged out by a group of other gamblers, who effectively strong-arm him to go gamble with Domino, which ultimately gets him shot, which is how he almost dies at the beginning. And so there's a degree to which, like, he is a weak man because he's not strong enough to resist, but he's also being dragged into things that aren't fully his fault, which is, I think, part of where Petunia's, like, love for him comes from, which is his heart is good, but it's not strong enough to resist the temptations. He's, all the time, he's trying right. so so hard to resist. It, it's a very interesting. I mean, because I I was raised and born and grew up Roman Catholic, so other denominations of Christianity are aliens. Not right the word to me, but kind of like outside to me for the most part, except for Methodists. And Methodists are close to Catholics, and the Methodists married into the family, so I got to see Methodist service. Too. So the, the the whole idea of faith versus belief versus works as far as what gets you, what's the magic formula that gets you to heaven is different for different branches of Christianity and how that how those three interplay with each other as far as being a good Christian and a good person is different for different branches of Christianity. And this movie mm. explores that and shows yes, Joe Joe is weak and and temptation falls. But Petunia has that faith, but in, in the and that faith saves them. But also, it's kind of made plain that you gotta 
you not can't just talk and say you got to actually be and do in order in order to get into heaven. So it's an interesting balancing act that the movie does. Yeah, and it, it, it so it explored black spirituality, black Christianity. I don't know which branch of Christianity this actually is. It's possibly uh, I don't, I don't know. I Pentecostal. I don't know, but it, it, I found that interesting from a religious point of view. I was kept trying to under, understand how this Christianity compares to the faith I was born in, and what I'm more more familiar with, like say with Lutheran surfaces here, and trying to triangulate that. And that's why this movie made me kept me keep me thinking of the of the book Job. Here, we, the first Heinlein book I was thinking of this movie, and which is all about about a priest who winds up going through trials and tribulations just like the titular character from the Bible and he's trying to save the love is his life's soul, trying to get her saved by the by the way he thinks the rules are to get her so so not knowing of course that God the God he has is a capricious son of a bitch, pardon my language. And <laughs> and yeah, and basically the devil basically has to get them both out of hock. So I I find I find this very interesting to explore in an intellectual way. Well, it's interesting you you mentioned this because uh, you know you're you're talking about a book I've not read, but you're you're mentioning the the story of Job, and it's yep. interesting because Job the the story of Job in the Bible is is also a, like a deal that's being done with the devil essentially, which is like it's the strangest book in the Bible. It's like God and the devil just like get together and basically have a bet with each other. It's like like they're, like they're old drinking buddies about this one guy. It's it's bizarre. It's kind of it is a bit bizarre, but it, it's like the reverse of this, because what they're doing is they're saying, like, if we deprive Job of all of the things that the fineries of life, you know, the comforts, we take all that away and we bring pain and misery upon him. The the, the bet is that he'll renounce his faith. He will he will right. quit believing in God. Yep. And throughout the story, right, you know, that there is literally a moment in there where Job turns up and he's like, why is all of this horrible stuff happening to me? How are you allowing this to go on? And and I can't remember exactly how, how it ends, but I, I'm sure he gets like some flowers from God and apology. Well, he, he, but... he gets everything back threefold or some sevenfold or something like that. Because he so... maintains his faith. Because he maintains his faith. And in this, it's a little bit kind of reversed because... What's happening is that bad things aren't happening to to Joe, but in not necessarily intentionally happening to Petunia, but good things happen to him. But the good things are the temptations, the things that are sins that he's meant to reject, not because money is inherently bad. Like you were saying before, it's about the love of money, the avarice. Uh, it's it's that they're, the things they're associated with are sinful. We may, may want to talk about in this film what it means by sinful in a minute. And so in a way, it's kind of a reverse, which is like Job is all the bad things are happening to you and then good stuff happens at the end. This is like seemingly good things are happening to you, but you're supposed to resist them. You know, you're not supposed to fall into this world. You're supposed to reject it and live a more simple, you know, farm life, going to church and loving Petunia, who really does love him with every yeah. fiber of her darn being. <laughs> I kept thinking, Joe, you don't deserve her. It's like. He doesn't. And and I think that's part of what saves him, though, right? Which is that her faith is almost enough for both of them. Almost, almost enough. I mean, I mean, enough enough that uh, she, I mean, she was going to get pulled up into a golden chariot to the sky. But, you know, her faith was enough that they get the long stair climb. At yeah. The end, which is a nice, like before I was like a little more, a little more. I mean, that whole stair climb, trying to climb up to up to heaven and almost like call and response. I can't go on. And she said, no, you can go on just so far. You can do it. It's like a call and response. And also a kind of like a statement of 
how, yeah, you you can do the work to get to heaven, to get to God. You just got to keep going one step in front of the yeah. other up the stairs. Faith won't get you there, but your legs can't alone. But your legs can if you just put yourself push yourself to do it. So it's definitely yeah. it's definitely the religious thesis statement of the of the foam and that and that stairway climb towards heaven at the end. I I love what you're saying there because you're completely right. It and it in a way is 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 quite a beautiful moment. I mean, this film is a comedy, right? It's it's got a lot of comedic elements, right? It is violent to a degree, but its violence is very pulled back. It's not like a western where like people are just getting massacred left and right. Right. I mean, the first time. First time Joe gets shot, we don't even see it on screen. So right. We only see after the fact that he's, he's been injured by the gangster. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Domino. Of course, his name is Domino. Domino. Of course. Domino. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that does make me want to take us back to this question of this: what this film says are the sinful things, which I think is, is certainly very much of its time. You know, that, you know, a lot of the description that we'd given are, are I gave descriptions based on how this film is described. Uh, but it is worth noting that a lot of what we're shown uh, are things like, you know, associating the club atmosphere. You know, the the music is being to some degree associated with a sinful atmosphere, right? Drinking is associated with sinful behavior. Uh, gambling, which you could argue gambling at least is somewhat justified here because it can destroy lives, etc. Um, that's associated with it. Sexuality is also here. I was actually kind of surprised for 1943 how sexual this film is uh because it is quite sexual <laughs> i mean we're in the middle of the haze code here i mean mm-hmm. did this movie get under the radar because it was the old black cast and they didn't look at it too hard maybe they were scared I, wonder. I mean there's literally a moment when lena horn is just like in a skirt in her bra and yeah I was like, it's like it's, this is I, 1943 I was, like, this is not pre-code like okay yeah, they somehow got away with it i i, I think Having an all black cast and all black movie, it kind of slipped under the radar of of the, of those censors. Yeah, and it's interesting because I mean, this is it's this very much a moralizing fable, right? This is precisely oh, yeah, what it's supposed to do. And- I, I mean, in that beginning text, they were talk, 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 talking about how the movie is a fable and the American story and whatnot. Yeah, it definitely, it lays out right at the beginning that that's this is what we're doing here. So it yeah. doesn't it doesn't hide the fact what it's trying to do. Right, precisely. And the whole fact that it's a dream at the end. That, that the fever breaks kind of like brings that fact that yes, this was a fable all along, but now Joe has a chance to live a good life now what he's learned from this whole experience. Yep, and you and you you believe it at the end when he says like, oh, I'm gonna do it right because what does he do? He has his ticket and his dice burned, right? Oh, the yep. sweepstakes ticket, and he and he says very adamantly, I want you to take it, I want you to burn it and put it in the fire, and she's like, are you sure? And he says, yes, yes, I'm turning a new leaf and. And I, I think a lot of what it, it does here is it's saying, you know, because Joe is, is unfaithful. He is an unfaithful man, right? Uh, he, he tries to resist, but he just can't. Uh, and to be fair, it is Lena Horn. So I, I you shouldn't be unfaithful, but also it's Lena Horn. You, you yeah. kind of get it. Again, don't be unfaithful. It's, it's just a really dick move. Don't do it. But, you know, he tries. And at the, in the end, you really believe that he will be faithful to Petunia. And and like you said, right, he doesn't really deserve Petunia. Petunia is a wonderful, loving, kind person. She wants the best for Joe. When he gets a job as as his job, his very first job he gets is a job as an elevator attendant in a hotel, right? And and she's so proud of him that he got the elevator job and he's already thinking up these grand lofty goals. He's going to be like the greatest elevator attendant ever and all of this, right? She really believes fervently in him, like that he can, she has faith in him, 
right? It's not faith in God too. It's also faith in the man that she loves. And so his infidelity, you know, and again, it's heavily implied infidelity because even though this film is very sexual, it doesn't actually show sex or heavily imply that sex necessarily is happening. We, We don't see it happen in any context. He is unfaithful, and that unfaithfulness is like his his real downfall. It's the thing that drags him into the mud over and over. It's the thing that brings him back to gambling. It's the thing that brings him back into an environment of sins. And it's the story's moral seems to be yes, a lot of like the the faith and the continuous fight to earn your place in heaven by being a good person and following you know not sinning, etc. But it's also like this fight for this very particular kind of family unit, right? You know, a one man, one woman, single marriage, uh, you know, love, hard work, work working together. All of that is it seems to be the, the moral here. Uh, it is not the life of the night. Yeah, it's a very traditional American story, not just for the black mm-hmm. community, for just for Americans in general at the time. Yeah. He's fighting he's fighting for he's fighting for the traditional nuclear family. Yeah, precisely. He's fighting towards it. So yeah. so that's that's a that should work for all audiences in nineteen forty three. So I, I think so, especially for this period. It also dawned on me just then, Paul, that this may be the most religious film we've ever discussed. I think by a long shot. Yeah. Because this brings all those themes that I've never really gotten to really explode out before in a, yeah. in a movie discussion with you. I really don't think we've ever had it. I mean, certainly we have films that have mentioned God and had God as as a part of it. But my goodness, I've I, this is a very religious film. I mean, the whole premise is it's a religious fable. That's literally what it is. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, I selected this. Well, we both selected. I gave options, but selected. but I I picked this film because of the way that it described almost like a cartoon version with you know the devil and angels on his shoulder. There is a bit of fantasy here. Like this film sort of recognizes that these are heavily fantasized versions of religion. Yeah, I, I mean, Hades Incorporated is in the air conditioned office that Lucifer Jr. is like. It's like, yeah, I, I'm glad we got air conditioning down here. Now you could go back and shovel coal if you don't work well for me. It's like, yeah, the devil appreciates, devil son appreciates the air conditioning. I can get that. <laughs> and air conditioning was just starting to come into the South at that time. So it's really timely sort of reference to, you know, like, because air conditioning really transforms the South starting in about this period and going through the 50s and 60s, making it making it the boom area it is now because no one wants no no one except hothouse flowers want to live in uh, six months of uh, humid heat. That is not not inaccurate. It's tough for sure. Yeah, I love the little air conditioning line. This is one of the things I think what you had said at the very beginning, which is that I bet if you sat down and you knew the culture and the period really, really well, which we don't because even though Paul was was born much earlier than me, he was not born that early. No. So no, you would. But he knew that stuff like it would add such an interesting dynamic that we're missing because we only know little bits and pieces of the 1940s. But there's definitely a lot more going on here. I mean, even just like the music references and the, and the songs are fantastic, right? Taking a Chance on Love is a lovely song. Shine is a lot of fun. There's a great uh, dance number with that. There are a couple dance numbers with tap dancing, uh, which is just delight- delightful. Uh, Ethel Waters sings a couple of songs in here that are just pretty stunning i get i mean there's even a brilliant church scene when they're singing uh little black sheep mm-hmm. which yeah. is delightful and has these moments when adults that that scene I, I must say i really enjoyed that which is 
they're all whispering to each other down the line and every every like fourth or fifth guy stands up and sings a verse from the song and then joins a chorus and gets whispered to and it goes down and down and down again yeah it, it's a really nice visual as well as an audio experience there yeah, yeah. makes makes i mean it, it's a relatively small budget but it makes the most of its budget for especially especially in bring, yeah bringing those musical members to life as best it can yeah yeah i'm really pretty surprised at how much they did they even had special effects in this very very minimal special effects you know very minimal but yeah, yeah like the, the one moment when one of the the soldiers for god uh, you know, it's like, I'm going to go on my flight and you know, no stunting now. And he says, no, sir. He just basically disappears. Yeah. And, and at the end, yeah, when Lucifer Jr. gets dragged down to hell, having been demoted. And it's a big puff of smoke. Me? Pop, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. You failed your dad. You failed Oops. your dad. Poof. Big puff of smoke. I think what's interesting is, you know, the, the special effects here are super basic, even for the time. It's not doing a lot of like interesting, uh, you know, makeup work. It's not trying. It's it's all very set designed. You know, with with little houses and and yards and things. It's very simple. But I feel like the story doesn't need it to be beyond that. It doesn't need to be Metropolis. No, it doesn't. I mean, the the movie prefers a lot of lot of relative lots of two shots. It doesn't go for the. It doesn't need a wide wide landscapes. It wants to focus on the characters and the lens keep lenses keep doing that throughout. I mean, the the widest shot we got is like the one shot exterior shot of the of the club and hotel and then we just go back inside and we're seeing people it's like yeah. it's it loves the two shot in this movie a lot it does it yeah it makes, makes the mix makes, makes the best use of it but but since we have since we since since this is movie all about you know all about twos we have we have joe and petunia we have uh lucifer and the general mm-hmm. we have we, we have the, these dynamics of pairs that the movie keeps going to again and again and again goes out the whole duality good or bad one or other one or the other oh and even if we take joe and domino with uh georgia in joe the and middle. domino yeah yeah there's tons of that that duality throughout uh the different lives that joe leads the gambling club life versus his home life yeah there's a lot of that in this i feel like you know we've been very kind to this movie because it's just a lot of fun and we could certainly be much more critical. Like, I think the fact that Georgia is basically implied to be a bad person because she's much more sexual in nature is certainly a the, the, Her sexual promiscuity used as, yeah, as evidence of her perfidy is... Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's a particular moralizing brand of Christianity that sees, yeah, women's sexuality as evil. And that this movie does play into that really hard. And that's not, that's not a very positivist message. And I mean, because we, I mean, aside from that, we don't see her really do evil. I mean, it's just that like, she's, she's attracted to Joe and wants to have sex with them. And I mean, that's really more on Joe's infidelity, right? And her being, yeah, I mean, oh, she go for the whole homewrecker yeah. sort of stereotype as, is that a moral thing? I, I mean, it is within a Christian faith. You're, you're you right. know, not supposed to be unfaithful. Do not covet thy neighbor's yeah. husband. Well, it's. I think it says don't covet thy neighbor's wife. Neighbor's wife, <laughs> right? But in this case, it's thy neighbor's husband. That's the, the coveting is the other side here. And I guess I, I, I'm trying to figure out what the criticism that some have had that this deals in caricatures, and I, I wonder if that's part of it, which is the seductress caricature, which is. It's certainly a colonial character. I don't character. know enough. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know enough to be able to really... Some of it is certainly the 
this is like going in the po- in the post Harlem Renaissance, uh, because a lot of caricatures coming out of images of the Harlem Renaissance is the club life as being seedy and dirty. And what's interesting is that the club here is not really presented. It, we're it's just implied that it's supposed to be like the the thing that makes it seedy and and grungy is just that. It has gambling, and we know the domino hangs has out gang- there. Yeah, g- yeah, gangsters show up. Yeah, yeah, but for the most part, it just seems to be like a a live and jumping time. Like people dance, and they want they want to have music and good times and tap dancing numbers. But I think that that's part of this here, which is the association of the club atmosphere in the black community as being also a sinful atmosphere. Because the, the implication is, like, the club is where the bad stuff happens, and not Petunia's house. Right, not Petunia's house. It's an archetype. It's an archetypical club and an archetypical city. I find that interesting. It's like, it, there's no clear indication of what city this club takes place in. Yeah, I mean, it could be any we're not, city. We're not told. It could be any. I mean, I kept thinking back again to to the story of Tulsa neighborhood. But we, but we have Petunia's house, which is kind of looks like the edge of ruralness yeah. and then we have this city so i was thinking atlanta maybe birmingham's something like that i don't louisiana, know louisiana it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but i kept trying to figure out well, where, the, where is this actually taking place i i i kept thinking deep south i couldn't quite decide what city was trying to be i didn't think it was actually trying to actually identify in any particular way but again a fact of its art cinematography and how it's filming it's not you're not you're not going to get the big cityscape in the background you're focused on the characters because that's what the movie's more interested about it's just it, it's an interesting moral equivalency that the the way that they're associating what is good and godly versus what is not uh, which i personally would i would find ni- neither one of them is inherently good and godly uh, that either one could be bad. And in fact, we know this because there's certainly lots of domestic abuse that has happened in rural areas as well as in places with clubs and so on. But good Lord, if you stuck a club in this town that was had like Louis Armstrong type figures playing music in it, Duke Ellington, I would go. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I would kill for some like big band jazz and swing played by actual bands. I would kill for that stuff, which I realize is me feeding straight into the moralization of the club atmosphere because I'm basically saying I'll murder people. But but yeah, I think we're we're good to start grading. What do you think, Paul? I, I think I think we're good to start grading here. All right. So give me your final thoughts, Paul, and your grade. Final thoughts. This movie was unexpectedly deep and went in, went to places I didn't quite expect. I was thinking I was thinking kind of uh, an all black heaven can wait. And I got a delightful musical which had really interesting religious themes i kept chewing and thinking over as i watched the film and now here disgusted with you is it a perfect movie no is it worth is it worth three dollars on amazon prime hell yeah <laughs> so yeah so I, I i'm going to give it an a minus i think that's totally justified paul this film is such an interesting little film i mean it is I think if you're not very into like the religious moralizing stuff, you'll probably not enjoy it. That 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 that, that probably will knock down a, down at least half a grade if you're if that if that that sort of chewy thinking over religion and faith and salvation it doesn't do your thing. It, this movie might not connect as much with the viewer. It's true. I think that's very true, but I think it's still got a lot of universal themes of, you know, even if you're not a religious person, the idea of temptation 
of being of infidelity of uh you know the the concern over gambling and drinking and these kinds of things there there is this degree of you know recognizing your limitations and joe throughout this has to recognize his limitations and his limitations are much more than other people and and i will say that you know part of the charm for me was i i knew louis armstrong duke ellington and and ethel waters because of my grandma, because she was really into swing and jazz, and she was like an Ella Fitzgerald mm-hmm. nut, and she would introduce me to all this stuff. So seeing all of these characters and hearing these these singers who I knew was just like a nice nostalgia train in a really lovely way. So I also would give this an A minus. I'm sure there's criticisms that could be made that we didn't know just because this is a period of film we don't know as well. But it's just a lot of fun. And we're we're, we're two we're two white guys in 2010, so we're. We're going to miss things. We're going to miss a whole raft of things just because of who we are, when we yeah, are. You mean 2021? You said 2010, Paul. 2021, 2020. Oh my God, are yeah, we time right. traveling right now? <laughs> we're time traveling right now. <laughs> well, perfect, Paul. So that's it for today. Uh, if you'd like to let us know what you thought about this episode, obviously go to skiffingfanty.com slash listener suggestions. Follow us at skiffingfanty at, on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter at skiffingfanty.com slash newsletter. And if you want to support us, please go to patreon.com slash skiffingfanty where you get all kinds of fun little rights like voting for torture cinema and so on. And leave five-star reviews on iTunes if you would be so kind. More reviews equals good things as for me you can find me at sean duke or patreon.com slash the joy factory and you can find me at prince justin on all the things i mean everywhere he is literally everywhere he is ubiquitous like god <laughs> or I'm ubiquitous in shadow exactly <laughs> all right folks that's all she wrote uh i am now going to go do a tap dancing number with paul so you'll have to forgive us for stepping out for a hot minute stay frosty bye everybody awkward ending and scene If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy mole. Thank you for listening. <laughs>